Hey, good morning, everybody. Mike Courtney here, Mass Mutual Eastern Pennsylvania. I am joined by always by Steve Parisi, president and CEO of IBC Global. Steve, we got a little gloomy precipitation Wednesday morning. I don't know if you got your run in this morning or not, the rain. Mm -hmm. And the snow, I did. I I was suffering. I went down the mountain. That was easy. The way back up, <laughs> I was done. <laughs> I came in and collapsed for a bit, but I did get it in, so I was happy. I'd like to hear that you got it in on days like this. <laughs> yeah, I can't miss it. I'm, I can't. So today it. we uh, we want to talk about how to deal competition and how to deal in certain competitive situations. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like uh, this is an area where. I'm always walking a fine line. My personality, you know, for I've been in sales for a long time now, um, have developed a good track record and have had a lot of success. But really, when push comes to shove, I'm not a salesperson. I don't like to be sold. Um, I don't like to be aggressive with people. I'm very laid back. I like to, you know, take things as they come and deal with it. I feel like I've lost in a lot of competitive situations because instead of being real aggressive and pushing for a close or pushing against my competition, I kind of say my piece and then pull back and think this person's got to make up their mind on their own. I'm not into I don't like to pressure people um, and I don't like to be pressured. So, but I feel like I've lost in a lot of situations because I wasn't more aggressive, but in order to win in those situations, I would have had to really kind of be cutthroat and act in a way that's not you, not only not me, but not somewhere I want to go. You know, like sometimes you identify maybe a personality trait where you say like, I'd really like to, try to get past this and behave in a different way. I don't want to get past that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be cutthroat. If, if yeah. Steve Parisi is a prospective client of mine, I don't want to grab him by the back of the neck and, you know, mentally say, sign on the dotted line and get this done. I, I just, I, that's not me. I don't, I don't, I don't want it to be me. So, you know, you're always training and working with your brokers and advisors at IBC and this has got to come up all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with respect to competition. Um, so, yeah. It, yeah, like my big thing is I can relate to a lot of what you said as far as not wanting to be something you're not, change your personality. How I look at it is when working with a consumer, the focus is them. And starting there gives you a huge edge over a competitor that you're up against, especially if the client or prospective client makes it known that they're talking with you and a a competitor. Because when that comes up, like when you get news that your prospect is meeting with with another competitor, maybe they forward you illustrations or the proposal that they received, they're forwarding them to you and also the other person most likely. And typically what happens is the competition will lose focus of the customer and start to focus on you and tell that potential customer everything bad about you, the company you're using. It gets very, very negative. And most, most, in most cases, people don't even realize that they're doing this. 
Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking of specific situations, even my the way that I am and what I just explained to you, I think that without even thinking about it in competitive situations, my first instinct is to kind of lose track of whatever kind of conversation I was having with the client yeah. about their need for some kind of solution. And I start thinking about how can I subtly spin against whatever the competition is yeah. without making it look like I'm, you know, being too negative or being too aggressive. A hundred percent with you. So this is what occurs in the industry and the industry also trains on this. Anytime I used to ask um, when we do executive benefit planning, we were up against a, a certain insurance carrier and the help we would get from the home office from one company or another would just be, well, this other company stinks and here's a million reasons why. I'm like, that doesn't help me. Like, I need to know the actual details so I can communicate it properly. I don't care about the, the competition in that respect. So to get back on track, having the awareness that most, not all, but the majority of competitors will not, they're going to lose focus and they're going to start to focus on you. If you can keep that focus on the consumer, when they bring anything up, maybe it's a different company or product, whatever it might be, speak to that product and be as transparent as you would with your product. And if you don't know about that, about the other product, let them know. Just be completely honest how you would want someone to be honest with you. Um, but when we train on this, so I don't ramble too much here, is the first thing I'll train our agents to do is do not ever, ever, ever badmouth the competition. Don't acknowledge them, just don't do it at all. If someone has questions, answer their question with respect to the product, the strategy. If they want to see a comparison, we'll show them a direct comparison with the other company they're using, the companies we recommend, but keep it very, very focused on what the consumer wants to see. The instant you start to go down that road and say, well, you know, I think they're showing you this small company because it pays a higher commission and the higher base premium, like that, that's, and let me just slide that in there. Dude, you do that stuff. People will see through that, especially clients putting in larger amounts. Um, and think of it this way. You would see through it, like if I'm training an agent. So don't think that somebody else is going to see through it. Like don't don't play those kind of games. Just focus on the consumer. What specific questions did they have? Strategy, product, concept, whatever. And stay focused on that. People ask me frequently, hey, you know, what are your thoughts about, you know, this competitor? He said this stuff about you and your company and, you know, about this product over here. I'll answer the question about the product that they had and the other you know, individual. I'll say I never connected with them. So, I mean, I don't want to speak anything, speak anything about them. I, I don't know. Them. Um, but I can certainly get back on track with the product and your questions with respect to your finances. But just completely ignore it in that respect and focus on what their objective is. I talked a lot there. Any questions? Well, I guess the one thing, as you're talking, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, like an example for me, it's not exactly what we're talking about. And when you say competition, I think, you, you know, you're talking about something a little bit different. But you and I have talked about, a lot of times I'm working on cases where um, I'm in competition with, you know, my product is, is Mass Mutual whole life, and I'm in competition with IUL. And, there's, there's a million different things I could say about IUL that oftentimes in that kind of conversation just fall flat because I end up just sounding like a mass mutual wholesaler. What I do like to say at some point in the conversation is 
Um, you know, you, you, Mr. Client, have to make up your own mind about how you want to proceed here. That solution isn't really for me personally, and here's why, but also kind of acknowledging that I'm not in that world every day. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an expert uh, with regards to that particular company or that particular product as I am with whole life. Um, so I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying if I'm a consumer, I'm not buying that. And here's specifically why. And just given some real, you know, I've got some specific reasons as a consumer that aren't real technical, that also aren't real. Um, they're more kind of feel, you know, yeah. but, I'm, but I'm prepping it by saying like, this is me personally. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my personal opinion, knowing that um, you know, this isn't like a black and white line. And I feel like I've I've gained some. Uh, I feel like that builds trust. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I'm not being pushy. I'm acknowledging that it's a good. It's probably a good solution. I don't really know. Here's my personal opinion, but you know, you, you're smart enough to make up your own mind. Yeah, definitely. That that question comes up quite a bit with IULs. And, and here's, I can go through the exact role play in a sense of how I address that is if someone says, hey, I'm looking at an IUL, what are your thoughts on that? You know, someone's recommending that it's a better option. Exactly what I'll say is this. When you look at IULs, Mike, what they, it's a cash value life insurance product. So you can reap the same tax-free benefit, access to the cash value, all that good stuff. If you were to really break down the difference to simplify this between whole life and IULs, an IUL will give you greater potential on cash value growth than a whole life insurance product every single time. Potential is the key word. The reason why you can have it linked to the S&P 500 index, you've got more upside there. That's the, the attractive part where a lot of people look at that as a potential option. Whereas when you look at a whole life insurance product, it kind of is what it is. If it's properly designed with one of the top companies, it'll deliver a net internal rate of return between three to five percent. And we can take that to the bank if you want to use that phrase. But looking at the two, the whole life is a sure bet, kind of hands off. You don't have to think about it. You can borrow against it, all that good stuff. Whereas the IUL, you've got greater upside potential. But here's the reason our company does not use them is when we look at actual data, and this applies to, to our practice with whole life insurance as well. When I put someone's, recommend someone's money going into a company and product, I don't believe the illustration. Like I don't, I want actual proof, historical data. I just go back to the four major mutual carriers with whole life products. IULs, I have not seen that long-term historical proof. The greatest long-term internal rate of return I've seen on an IUL to date is about 2%. A lot of times they go negative. So you've got greater upside potential, but the reality is we often see them under deliver quite drastically compared to what's projected. That's because cap rates can come down, insurance expenses, the renewable term component always goes up. But there's a lot of there's a lot of elements outside of our control, the agent and the the policyholder, you, that if the insurance company wants to make the changes, they do. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, 
The thing is that if I'm you, I would want to have is full awareness so you can make an informed decision and then you can pick the one you're most comfortable with. Um, and we can support you with whole life. If it's IUL, like zero pressure from us. Um, I've actually got a referral I can send you to that does IUL. We don't have any kind of financial relationship, but he he understands the product. I mean, that's his niche. He understands right. it in and out. And that's typically how I'll, I'll leave it. Um, and most will move forward with whole life because, again, that's if they're talking to us, that's that's all we do. Like that's our laser focus. But that's often how I'll address that. And so how much that. training would you say you do with your agents on how to handle these kind of situations and how to handle competition in general? Yeah, it's quite frequent. Um, you know, the trainings I will Are they pulling you into cases like that a lot or uh, it's more mm-hmm. they we used to quite a bit. Um yeah. we've got senior agents now that know how to handle those situations. Um, you know, they're better than me, <laughs> so they can, they can speak it, they can articulate it better. Um, but you know, when you, to answer your question, the training, I used to do it almost every week, um, particularly on competition. Now, um, I'll bring it up on Monday meetings, probably once a month. Uh, and as far as training our agents, I'm involved in the agent training meetings once per month instead of every week now. And it might be every other month, every third. The message is very, very clear. Like with our daily training yeah. and role play, like the little things they do every day is do not bash competition ever because it turns people off. Most people do it to you that you're up against. So when you're not doing it back, you, you're you put in a much better light than your competitor. Well, you kind of said it at the top of this that, you know, if, you're, if your focus is... Uh, if you stay focused on the consumer, which is always yeah. your, your mantra and always what you're talking about with your um, your sales professionals, if you really do stay true to that in all aspects, um, you're not going to get pulled into some kind of ugly competitive conversation or any kind of negativity or, or anything like that. And then also for you, it mean, really does make it easier for you to stay consistent with your training and not have to keep hammering home the same kind of topics over and over and over again, because it really does come back to that kind of basic, you know, stay true to the consumer, stay focused on the consumer. What is the consumer looking to do? And don't get distracted by, um, you know, ancillary things or, or, you know, other items. Yeah, that that's important. And the nice thing about that is anyone can do that. Like you don't have to have extensive product knowledge to be able to have a laser focus on your consumer. No, it's like Um, basic human communication skills. That's it. Yeah. And and the thing too, what to be able to read through is when you receive information, if you're new in the business, you're not going to know the right answers from a factual standpoint, right? If somebody's asking you about, I don't know, Northwestern or Penn Mutuals or Lafayette Life's PUA rider fees or something like that, most agents won't know. And if a client has that question, you have to be able to ask it or you have to be able to answer it. So when you get that information from people up top at particular companies or your managers, and they come and provide negative information on the other carriers, and you may view them as a mentor, that's where you have to kind of step step back and say, okay, thank you for the information. Nothing bad against the, the mentor figure, but what's the facts and what are the opinions? I just want to fa- the facts so I can bring that to the potential consumer. Not all the other stuff they said. And that that's difficult to do because I, I used to do that all the time. And I got information from a mentor. I'm like, 
They know what they're talking about. They've been doing it for so long. It must be effective. So I'd go and do that. And a lot of times it was just bashing another company or like sliding things in there. I'm like, you know what? Let's let's actually read it and just pull out the facts, which takes more time. But it really begins to set you apart from the competition. I always in the past, I really struggled with competition against uh, bad players or bad actors or, you know, kind of sleazy um I don't know, kind of fly by night operators yeah. uh, because because it's hard not to immediately jump to bashing them and exposing them for for who they really are, or what they're trying to do. Yeah. Have you noticed a little bit of a little bit less of that recently with regards to competition due to, you know, there's been some some regulatory things that have gone on. I feel like the pandemic weeded out some some bad actors a little bit yeah um you know if you go way back you know maybe 15 to 20 years ago there was a lot of uh you know outright fraud going on yeah as far as uh certain kinds of stoli transactions and things of that nature and you know that all seems to have fallen by the wayside like just recently have you noticed a little bit less of that kind of element with regards to competition um yes and no um i've seen some people do some things that i i look at from a product just from a recommendation strategy i look at it and and just with my knowledge on insurance think that this is absolutely nuts such as leveraging policies to borrow against your policy to start a new policy or take the borrowed funds stuff it into the policy because you can leverage a positive spread that you're going to earn more in the insurance contract than what the company is charging you in loan interest. And that has gone on for so long. It's discouraged. It doesn't work. And you can always make it make it work on an illustration. But the reality is that it doesn't when you look at the actual data. Um, you know what's funny? You said that's been going on for so long. And that's something that is, I've always noticed as a question on life insurance applications, like are you using... You know, which just yeah. clicked with me. That's correct. I've never had a conversation with somebody about yeah. that kind of strategy. I can't. I can't believe that I haven't. Not saying that I. I mean, like nobody's ever brought it up to me. Nobody's ever uh, because I know that that is. You know, you see it on the applications. I'm like, I guess people are doing this. Yeah, we've seen it more because there's marketing on it, and, and this is not me. Yeah, no attempt yeah. to disparage or throw shade at anyone. That's not it one bit. Um, just the strategy, the idea of borrowing against a policy and taking those borrowed funds and put paying them into the existing policy with no intention of paying it back or anything, just using it to try and accelerate the growth rate or doing it to start a new policy. You're trying to leverage money in a life insurance policy, pay as little as you can and get the maximum value out of it with cash value life insurance. Um, there's definitely more marketing around it and different angles on it. And where I get so discomfortable, my discomfort level pops up is that stuff doesn't work. Like that's where lawsuits have popped up in the past. There's so many issues. And like where the agent, a lot of times it's lack of awareness. Like I didn't know that. The situation that occurs is on the projection, the models, I'm earning more on cash value than what the cost to borrow is. So yeah, like why would you not do this? I see no reason why it wouldn't like why it wouldn't work out. But historically speaking, and when you look at reality, 
typically cash value life insurance, whatever the product is, the real performance under delivers what was illustrated over the long haul. That's what happens. So you've got to set expectations properly. Now, when you start to borrow, the loan rates typically are what the loan rates are. Maybe they're variable, but if I am if I see on our illustration, I'm going to earn 5%, but then I earn three and my cost to borrow is 4%. Like if I'm earning five, hey, it, yeah, it's all good. But now all of a sudden, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to, you've got to be careful with that kind of stuff. Um, and I didn't mean to get sidetracked there. No, yeah, sorry. I sidetracked you too. No, so no. You yeah. have seen a little bit less of that I feel like there's not as many schemers out there. Not as much. And I don't as there was years ago. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this too. The people that do it, I don't think that they're schemers. I could be wrong. Um, I don't think that they are. I think it's just lack of, you know, in-depth knowledge as far as what will actually happen or what can right. potentially happen with those strategies. Um, but I've had conversations with, prospects that want to work with us they say hey we like the strategy of loaning against a policy or hyper funding it because it can really get more in retirement from an income standpoint but we'd like to do it with you and i let them know we're not comfortable doing that one bit um similar with iuls and when they, some ask why like why would you not do it everything you know should work out and my answer is this we use those four major mutual companies because of the proof of performance. And if you look at their financial ratings, their Comdex score, 98, 99s, and 100s, cream of the crop. I want my company to represent that same quality when it comes to a financial rating, if you're going to give it that grade. Meaning, I do not want to put anyone's money into a strategy or a product that down the road can blow up. And then what will happen is they'll come back to us and say, you guys are a bunch of sleazeballs because everything went wrong. This happens to agents. And the agent's like, I didn't know that would happen. So just digging into the to products, looking at history. And I was fortunate you know, with how I started in the industry. I got to see a lot of the stuff um, from, from history. I'm 33, so it's not like I lived through it, but I've seen it. <laughs> but my point is, I want the quality. I want the safe business for our clients where there's not going to be issues like that's important to me. If there's something that offers more potential, but there's a greater risk, in my opinion, compared to the, the upside, like we're not comfortable with it unless I see it actually work. And if we're not doing it, it means we don't have any proof of concept to prove a performance there. Do you ever have a client go down the path with you of trying to prove it out and then through that exercise ended up, you know, going in your direction and said, you know what I mean? Like I'm the yeah. client, you're, you tell me that story that you just told me, I'd say, all right, well, I want to see, like, let's try to get some yeah. proof that this is going to work. And then halfway through realizing like, they're not going to be able to prove this out. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, yes and no, that has happened where they'll send spreadsheets um, that they have or they put together that shows the policy. Here's the growth rate. Here's the strategy with taking loans. And look, the internal rate of return always outpaces the loan. Like, this looks great. And the conversation we'll have there is, yes, on paper, this looks phenomenal. Um, and, and you can absolutely do this with the agent that, that you're working with. Like, no shade at him or her. Like, that's not my yeah. intent. 
why we're not doing it, like why I don't do it, is what is illustrated there. When you look at reality, typically it's much, much less than what's projected. The loan rate, however, is not. So if you kick down that earnings rate, not by half a percent, but look at what has actually happened over time, if you're earning 2% or 3%, the small company or an IUL product, whatever it might be, and paying 4 or 5%, like now you've got an issue where the policy will lapse or you'll have to come up with more money out of pocket. You will not have phenomenal income down the road. Like that's the risk that you run. And yes, there's the potential on the upside, right? I can see it already. All the, the agents looking at this saying, well, you know, I've got all this stuff. It should work. It should work. Yes, it should. But it hasn't. That's like once we see the proof, then we will do it. So to answer your question, yes, we get that. Um, but then it's really a conversation of historical proof of performance. And we've got that. Um, you know, it took a long time to put together, but we've got those studies from policies issued from 1975 all the way up until the current date, when they don't perform well, when they do perform well. It took a long time to put together and then to communicate it in English. Um, but then when people see that, it's like, okay, here's a big issue in the life insurance industry that actual performance tends to underdeliver compared to what the illustration yeah. shows. And here's how I protect myself or set myself up for the greatest degree of success. It's scary that you couldn't get that information from IUL companies, given that the S&P has been on such a boom. You know? Yeah. I mean, you would think that. Yeah, you, you can't. Typically, you get a one-year statement where they don't show any of the, the surrender fees or anything like that. Like, look what it earned this year. I'm like, that's the account right. value. Like, I want the, the actual performance over time and the net IRR. Um, on the surrender value, don't like play games or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, because I mean, theoretically, oh, look, I'm not, I, I don't, I, I'm not a, a a stock market junkie or a financial markets expert. So this is very uh, might be might come off as a very naive statement, but knowing what I know and just going off the top of my head, I would think the last. 25 years snapshot of IUL should be a positive story. Should be. Yeah. I don't think it is though. I, I'm, I don't think it is, but it's I'm not. just thinking of like, what did the S and P look like over the last 25 years and the way that an, the S and P would affect an IUL policy. I would think it would have been booming. Yeah. Uh it should, in theory, right, just yeah. based off of what IULs do, but it, it yeah. hasn't. And I know we've talked about this before, like with specific case studies. Um, but it, like this is a, a good good example of competition, regardless of yeah, what. I didn't mean to make this all about IUL, sorry. Well, no, no, that's okay. Like regardless of what side you're on, if you're selling IULs, you know, the, the thing to look at here is when you hear responses like this from the other side, the knee-jerk reaction is get emotional and yell, you don't know what you're talking about out. And the whole life guys will do the same thing to IULs. And it's sure. like, don't do that kind of stuff. If someone has a legitimate concern, you've got to provide the proof, right? That That's that's what it comes down to. You need the facts and data at the end of the day. Um, think of it if you could purchase the product on Amazon without anyone selling or adding, you know, bullet points and such, um, or trying to persuade you to go in one direction or the other. Um, but that's what has to be done. And if you cannot do it, regardless of what the reason is, 
that's where you need to look at it and say, okay, how can I prove it out? Not with hypotheticals, but like, what do I need to do here? Do I need to start writing policies and testing it myself, which you're in it for the long haul then because it's a year over year study? Do you have mentors that have written policies that are several years old that perhaps are designed the way that you like to design them? You can track the actual performance. Like it's the boring work, takes a lot of time. You have to dig into it. Like we've sh I've shared with you where we've taken policies that were issued in 2007 where we made the servicing agent, um, the policy really under delivered. And to actually study that, talking about boring work, we had we obtained the original illustration, which took forever, by the way, to get that um, the sales illustration, which the client stuck to that schedule, paid exactly what he originally planned. And then we went in and pulled the annual statements once we got servicing rates from each year, plopped that onto Excel, put it side by side, takes forever to do. But the thing is, I had to have a clear picture, not just looking at the statements and saying, oh, quick answer, it doesn't work. No, 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 lay it out, see what worked, see what didn't work, and then communicate that to the prospect and client as well. Like, you gotta, you gotta put the time in, put the work in, um, where, you, <laughs> where you would probably laugh. There's times where I work on a project like that, maybe it's eight hours to put it all together, and then it's another eight hours of recording because I'm trying to communicate it, like cut that video, it's no good. I'm kicking the chair because I'm getting frustrated my, with myself because I might get it, but it's so difficult to communicate that complex message in English to someone and relay the importance of it. Like that's talking about competition, right? If you want to get yourself to that next level, take those steps, do the boring work. Um, that, that's the key there, in my opinion. Yeah, it's going to be a grind, but you know, hopefully at the end of the day, you've got a you've got a shiny package. Then that that you know, yeah, it's a, deliverable. <laughs> it's a grind, right? So if you always want that edge over your competition, you know, Ray Lewis, yeah, football player, yeah, retired yeah. football player. Um, he would say, I remember he was on ESPN a couple of years ago when uh, it was after he retired. New England's getting ready to, for a playoff game um, against uh, the Tennessee Titans, and some. Um, young cornerback said, oh, bring it, Tom Brady. We got you no problem. And Ray Lewis is like, you know, you're going up against Tom Brady, who is a master of the game here, and you're on pure athleticism. You know, when you look at him, go back to the year before where they beat Atlanta in the Super Bowl with that comeback. Yeah, Brady, he, Brady's like a mental master. Correct, right? Where he's sitting there for hours watching the film over and over again, where a lot of these young kids watch film, but then they go to the club, right? Like they can rely on their athleticism. But Ray Lewis said, you know, anytime he would go up against Tom Brady through paint manning in there too, he's like, I would have to sit my butt down, do the boring work that no one else wants to do, watch film over and over again, because they were masters of the game. Like you're not gonna beat them by just going through the basics. You had to just right. go through all the extra work. And I think that resonated with me because it's the, the same thing in business. Like if you want to really want to be a master of the game, it's understanding it, but then it's practicing, right? And if it's communication, if it's putting the information on a simplified spreadsheet with all the annual statements, this big mess, like you've got to master it and that's how you can really get that edge. But it, it equals time. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing else. I mean, you've, de you've definitely put in a lot of this, all, well, not a lot of this, all of this legwork. Um, that I think really is a benefit for agents who end up working under your umbrella, you know? So if you're listening to this and um, you're turned on by this at all, 
uh, feel free to reach out to Steve, reach out to IBC Global. They've got a great team um, that can help help you grow your business, help you in situations like this um, where, you know, sometimes you need somebody to lean on, um, you need back office support, or you might need more, you know, uh, mentor coaching type of support. Uh, Steve and his office and his team are fantastic with that. Uh, if you'd like to explore any of these ideas or talk more about Mass Mutual and some of the products and services that my office offers, feel free to reach out to me at any time. And Steve, I hope you have a great rest of the week and we'll continue this conversation next week. You as well. Quick shout out to you guys um, for, because we get a lot of brokers that are interested in Mass Mutual and always have issues like with the lister and Ailer flexibility and we can instruct them what to do. Um, but you guys as an agency know what to do and you can say, do this with the processing, reach out to this contact. And if someone's telling you no, you'll pick up the phone or send them a note like, no, this is what we need to do. And then it gets done, which helps to have someone actually in the system. You need that at the end of the day too. I don't know um, who the right people are. Correct. Correct. So shout out there. I mean, that's, you've been a huge resource over the years there, but um, thank you. Thank you. Enjoy, enjoy your day as well. Have a good one. You too. Thanks.